There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and wonderful to be back with you again for another week on the Business Elevation Show. And today, I'm just delighted. We're going to be talking um, with Lindsay Levin about Invisible Giants, changing the world one step at a time. And before we speak to Lindsay, I'd like to say thank you to my guest last week. Simon Davis was talking to me about high-ticket offers and about how to uh, look at your products offering and uh, look at the additional products that you can create that add even more value to your customers and generate some more revenue for your business as well. So I mentioned today we have Lindsay Levin. Uh, Lindsay's the founder of Social Enterprise Leaders Quest. And I'd, I'd love to thank Stuart Pickles, actually, and Judy Piatkus, who've been guests on this show before, whom I first um, heard about the incredible work of Leaders Quest and Lindsay through. Uh, and I've admired since then Lindsay's work for some time, and I was delighted when Judy made the connection. As Lindsay, I'm sure, would agree, it's through connection and sometimes the serendipitous nature of it that power of change really happens. So let's find out more about Leaders Quest and discuss some of the remarkable stories and lessons from Lindsay's thought-provoking and inspirational book, Invisible Giants Changing the World One Step at a Time, which was published by Vala in March 2013. And also, um, I'd like to talk about the wisdom that organizational leaders should really embrace from this. When it comes down to what matters, surely good business is not just about generating revenue, but standing back and seeing the big picture and appreciating the impact on people and the sustainability of resources. Now, Lindsay spent 15 years of her career building entrepreneurial companies and in 2001 founded Leaders Quest. And it's taken her on a journey of connecting diverse groups of leaders across many cultures, exploring solutions to really big global issues. Lindsay works with corporate CEOs and their teams on the role and purpose of business, values, and culture change, and she's always seeking to bridge divides between cultures, perspectives, and opposing voices. This means she equally works with non-profit organizations, non-governmental organizations, and to help, she created the Leaders Quest Foundation to build grassroots community leadership capacity to really empower people to solve issues in their communities. She also serves on the board of Hartford Care and Unitas Capital, the latter who developed finance structures and raised capital to benefit businesses at the bottom of the economic pyramid in India. Incredibly, she was for four years chair of the International Steering Committee of One Voice, amplifying the voices of Israelis and Palestinians committed to peaceful ex- coexistence. That could not have been easy. Uh, so I'm very delighted to welcome today, live from New York, uh, Lindsay Levin. Thank you, Chris. Real pleasure to be with you. Very delighted to have this conversation. Now, wonderful to talk to you. And uh, I really wonder if we could start, Lindsay, today by, by you telling us a bit about your early life, because I'm intrigued at, at how your early life led to you creating um, this fascinating uh, and very value-added organization, Leaders Quest. Yeah, well, well, thank you. Well, I was born in the UK um, to a brother and a sister who I'm very close to still today and wonderful parents. I grew up in in Surrey in Hampshire in Britain. Um, Always been very curious about the world. Um, As soon as I started to earn money, I began to travel. I was a backpacker who was very keen on seeing different parts of the world. Um, 
and very interested in how societies work and communities work and economies work. So I came out of university and I started my career at Bain & Company, uh, had a wonderful couple of years there working in strategy consulting. And then I joined my dad in, a, in our family business, which was in the car industry, uh, motor retail. So kind of improbably, given what I do today, I spent 15 years running businesses and building businesses, um, including in the motor industry, car dealerships, uh, crash repair shops, service centers. And one of the things that I think came out of that was really the understanding that being of service, being in a service industry was all about people and caring about people. Um, you know, we needed to care about our own employees if they were to really do a great job looking after customers. And, and I really loved that learning journey of, of creating companies. And at the same time, I had this sort of parallel life where I was spending a lot of time with charities, um, particularly around development issues. Uh, so people working on issues like poverty and access to education and sanitation and healthcare, And... I found myself in a, in a situation where I had one life, if you like, that was in the business world, and I had another life that was in the nonprofit world. And I got to a point where I thought, you know, what am I going to do next? What's, what, what should I be doing with the next chapter of my life? I was kind of in my mid to late 30s by this point. Um, and I, I came to the conclusion that the most useful thing I could personally do would be to be a bridge between these very different perspectives that I experienced. So sometimes it's different perspectives because, you know, business has got a particular view of the nonprofit world and the nonprofit world has got a particular view of the business world. Sometimes it's about different cultures. Sometimes it's about different generations, different genders, different political views. Um, but it was really out of an interest in how do you bridge those gaps that I came to found Leaders Quest. Excellent. And what, what is the purpose of Leaders Quest? Well, it's been an evolving journey. Um, and what we do it is quite multi-layered. But the way I would describe it is to say that our work is really about developing wise, compassionate and competent leaders, wherever they might be in the world and from all sorts of backgrounds and sectors. So we're interested in working with people who are, are capable and who can become more capable of leading in all sorts of circumstances, in a very fast-changing environment, you know, with volatility and disruption. And in particular, when I think about the business world, where people have to contend with competing priorities, you know, how do you deliver to shareholders and at the same time do the right thing for the environment, for the communities that you serve, for the societies that you're part of? Um, how do we deal with the many interconnected challenges that we face? So... That's the core of why we exist. What we then do is, is work in various ways. Uh, one, one part of our work is, is a quest, and I'll describe in a moment what, that, what that's all about. Uh, it's really experiential learning. Um, and we, we do those kinds of programs for all sorts of people, individuals from different backgrounds and walks of life. And then we also do a lot of work with um, businesses, working with CEOs and their leadership teams, particularly around purpose, values, uh, journeys of change and transformation, helping people to innovate to better meet the future, helping people to innovate to be more sustainable um, and to be more thoughtful about the societies that they're part of. You know, how, how can you combine profit with really being purposeful? And in the process, being somewhere that people really want to work and really want to be part of. 
So that's a, a quick sort of overview mm -hmm. of, of why we're here. You kind of got me thinking back there to, it was a situation that occurred with me only, only probably a week or two into uh, my, my starting my career, which was in the motor industry um, for Leyland Duff at the time. And I never forget a sales director who was retiring and he came over to my desk and he said, Chris, I'm just about to end my career and you're just starting yours. I'm retiring on Friday and can I share something with you? And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, it's, it's a lesson from my career. And I said, what's that? He said, people are everything. So if you just remember one thing, people are everything. And I think, you know, what um, many leaders today do, and I remember reading one of your articles when you described that, you know, people often recruited into senior roles for um, to win. People, because they're kind of winners, is sometimes they, they really forget that actually that's why we're here, surely. To um, to employ people, to serve customers, to to help people, and sometimes I think we get we miss that, don't we? Yeah, I, I totally agree, and and I think that those sort of lessons apply in all sorts of organisations, and indeed in in life with family, with friends, you know, with with our own towns and villages. Um, that the fundamental importance of, you know, you're judged really by, by how you show up, by how you behave, not by the words that you necessarily use. Um, so taking time to even reflect upon who we are, what matters to us, what we most care about, how we impact other people, this kind of self-awareness, um, I think typically not enough attention is given to that. Um, and, and, you know, life is very busy and intense. People will feel under tremendous pressure, as many competing goals. And so the, it, it, at the simplest level, I would say, our work's about just being human, uh, you know, and how do we create organizations that are really human, that, that people want to be a part of and want to spend the many hours every week that we spend in, in whatever workplace we come from. It's sometimes helpful, I think, to, to get out into a different environment uh, to to really you know see a different perspective because you, when you are stuck in you know in that in that environment uh, that you know in the workplace um, you, you can be very cocooned from the real world and and I think that's what you know, from reading about your quests um, that they seem to do and and I wonder if you could maybe describe a quest and you know who attends them where in the world they are and you know what the benefits might be. Sure. Yes. Yes. Well, when we first started, the original idea was that we would create these programs, typically of five or six days. We would invite a group of leaders from different organizations to come with us, um, some from big corporations, some who would be you know, from entrepreneurial companies, startups, some who leaders in NGOs um, and social enterprises and community projects, and a mix of generations. So trying not to be hierarchical about it, but actually to say there's a tremendous amount to be learned from putting together a diverse mix of people and also having them come from different countries around the world. And then we, we started to create these programs. Initially, we had a big focus on creating quests in what were then called you know, emerging markets, developing countries. Uh, they're very well developed now, but big, you know, major countries like India and China because they're home to so much of the world's population. Different countries in Africa. We've worked in Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria, Mozambique, different parts of South America, um, the Middle East, as, as you mentioned, Israel and Palestine combined as a two uh, together. Um, and then we also started to create quests in Europe and, and the US. 
So you can actually do a quest anywhere. And really what it's about is getting out and meeting with a real cross-section of people. And the lens that we use for that is to think about people who are in different ways creating change, in different ways living their values, uh, in different ways innovating. So that includes meeting with leaders of big companies and understanding what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they see the world. It also includes meeting with startups, um, spending time in tech parks, um, in, in science parks and so forth. Um, it also means, you know, getting out to factories. I, I'm intrigued by supply chains. So, for example, in China, um, it's fascinating to go and see where shoes that we might wear are made, mm. you know, where the, lap the laptops we use oh, yeah, are made. I love that. I, I remember early on, you know, taking people to, to laptop factories in, you know, one particular company making more than 25% of the world's laptops and understanding who is it that's making this product and where do they come from? Where do all these workers come from and what are their lives like and how are we joined by an invisible thread that, that links us across the world? So we are globalized, whether or not we, we like to see it that way. And, and there was a very deliberate choice for us that quests, you can do a quest in your own backyard, and that is deeply valuable. And we also have always cared about doing quests around the world and bringing people together from around the world because we share the same air, you know, we share the same water. We have to cooperate and collaborate um, and work in ways that even a couple of hundred years ago were less important and less relevant. I just... Listening to that, you mentioned a number of you know a number of different types of organisations, from startups and um, non-governmental non organisations and corporate. But I'm just also sort of intrigued. You know, do do you work with governments because it does feel that governments could really benefit from uh, some of the wisdom that you share. Well, we do a little bit. I, I'd love to do more of it. Okay. Um, I'm sort of a glutton for punishment, I guess. Uh, it's interesting being here in the States. You know, we moved here two years ago as a family and sitting witnessing this election unfold is fascinating. Mm -hmm, like um, I'd, I'd dearly love to take some of the candidates on a quest, I have to say, uh, probably <laughs> starting yeah. even within the States. Um, so we've, we've done some programs with the British government um, for senior leaders uh, within the civil service, uh, which were really fruitful and, and a very moving experience actually for our own team because these were all people very committed to being of service to whatever part of the, the government they came from, you know, be they from the police or the health care service or, or the education service. Um, and, and I would like us to do more. We do also sometimes meet people in government in the different countries we go to. Again, with the lens of wanting to spend time with people who are driving great change. So, you know, sometimes you find city mayors, for example, who are doing really cool and valuable things. Um, so that's the lens. Uh, and, and we're also very thoughtful about the seams between things. So, you know, it, it seems to me that no one sphere of life can address any of the big challenges we have. It's not that government can fix everything. It's not that business can fix everything. It's not that civil society can fix everything. We actually have to partner. And so that's very much in the fabric of what we do with, with Quest, is to sh introduce people across these different divides and help them think together. Yes, we've just got a, a couple of minutes to a commercial break, um, so we may have to continue the question after the break, I don't know. But I wonder, could you just explain, you know, what is the Leaders Quest Foundation and what is an invisible giant? 
Yeah, so Leaders Quest itself is is what we call a social enterprise. We're a, a non-profit organization. We we charge companies for what we do, and then we do a lot of pro bono work in in with NGOs and communities. The foundation is is responsible for two big chunks of work. One is how we fund scholarship places on Quests, where we have uh, some very wonderful donors who help us to fund making sure that people who otherwise couldn't come can participate in our programs. And the other is that we, we partner with an organization in India called Coro, and over the last 10 years with Coro, we've built a thing called the Quest Fellowship Program, which is a program for growing grassroots leaders to then drive tremendous social change. We have nearly a 1,000 people who've been through the program so far and really, really extraordinary outcomes in terms of the differences that are making in very poor communities across India. Fantastic. Well, we're going to go to a commercial break in um, in a few a few seconds, but I just want to say, you know, it's just fascinating to, to hear what we've heard about Leaders Quest there. And... Uh, you know, just just really in admiration that you know what you're doing and uh, and the types of people and organisations that you're working in, this space that you've found yourself in. And I do want to say to people, after do come back because after the break, Lindsay's going to share some stories, and there's certainly at least one story in there that you won't forget um, because it's still sat um, impregnated in my mind since I read it in the book, um, which will help to start to understand a little bit more about the work of Leaders Quest and the value that they add. They add. So, um, be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. 
Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Lindsay Levin from Leaders Quest, and uh, we're talking about invisible giants. And uh, actually, I'm not sure, Lindsay, before the break, did, did you, you explain the foundation? Yeah. Did we talk about what an invisible giant was? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's the title of my book, as you know. Um, and it really came to me from, from the experience of going all over the world and meeting extraordinary people in all sorts of different circumstances um, and finding that many of the people that I could learn a huge amount from were people that were invisible to the authorities or to people in power or even just to sort of ordinary society. So, you know, I've learned a lot with uh, homeless people, with people working in very, very tough circumstances, with very few resources, really marginalized communities. And I wanted to recognize and celebrate, um, if you like, that the giant in, in all of us and the sense in which um, every one of us has the capacity to make a difference to those around us. Um, and so in some cases, that may be on a large scale. In other cases, it may be very, very local. It may be about your own neighbors. Um, but really, this sense that, that inside every one of us, sometimes invisible even to ourselves, there is um, a good person uh, who wants to connect and, and wants to lead a, a, a worthwhile life. I, I, in your book, there's a number of sort of stories and, and, and statements and phrase that you use to, you know, describe um, sort of situations. And I was, I was particularly, one that really stuck in my mind was the words of Lin Lin, that India is like an injured person lying on the floor. All the wounds are visible and open to the air, blood flowing into the ground. But here in China, all our wounds are on the inside. I wonder if you could maybe sort of tell us a bit about the differences between, um, say, India and China, and maybe also... Uh, share the very moving story of Shakila. Yes, I mean, India and China are, are two countries that I've spent a lot of time in, actually, not only in the 15 years since I started Leaders Quest, but I, I first visited them um, about 25 years ago. And um, they're countries I feel very, very um, fond of in, in different ways. Um, I thought Linnin's description, Linnin is herself Chinese, I, I thought her description was so such a beautiful way of mm. capturing some of what people experience, you know, in her case, a Chinese person visiting India and then being back in her own country. India, everything's, for those of you who've been there or live there, you know, it's a larger than life country. It's colorful, it's crazy, it's noisy. It appears very chaotic. In some ways, it is quite chaotic. Um, it's this extraordinary, vibrant democracy. Um, it's got enormous challenges. It's got enormous energy. Um, emotionally, I think, you know, it's a place that you can connect with very quickly um, and, and feel very warm about, although also for many people probably challenged by. And China is, is often compared with India because the population sizes are, are, are similar. Um, and, you know, they've both got enormous development challenges, but of course they've taken very different routes. Um, China, certainly my experience of China is it's a country that the more you go back to, the, the more, it, in my case, you know, I took it to my heart and I felt accepted and embraced by Chinese people by, by repeatedly going back. Um, it's harder to read in a way. I think, you know, language feels like a bigger separation for those of us who are English language speakers. Um, the scale just feels extraordinary. The scale of construction, the numbers of people moving 
in, in what appears to be quite an orderly way from the countryside into cities. You know, I have been overwhelmed at times um, in different second and third tier cities in China by the scale of construction and movement and this sense of hundred, literally hundreds of millions of people changing their lives as they go from being rural to urban people. Um, and also this sense that it's very complicated, that I, I tend not to want to judge things, but rather to understand them. So, you know, there are good effects and bad effects of all the changes going on around us. And it's complicated and the knock-on effects to people are, are, are challenging. I think emotionally China can feel harder to read. And in many ways, that's what Lin Lin was speaking about. Um, if, I, if I move to the story of, of Shakila, um, Shakila is a, was a lady who I met actually on a traffic roundabout, so in the middle of the street, really, in, in Delhi a few years back. And she was a homeless woman, um, part of a homeless community. This particular community had lived at this particular spot beside a major highway in the city for about 40 years. And Shakila um, lived there with her children. And the day that I met her, um, it was in a pretty shocking circumstances. I was there with a little group who were on a quest with me. Um, she had, the day before, lost her leg in a traffic accident. She had, her child had strayed into the road. She had run out and she'd lost her leg, been hit by a truck. And here she was back with a very flimsy bandage on her leg, um, you know, severed above the knee. One day later, um, homeless you know, beside the road. Um, and I, I sat down and spoke to her um, with translation, with a friend who was translating. And it was, a, it was one of those experiences that is uh, moving at so many levels. You know, you have all these conflicting thoughts and emotions going through your head. And at the same time, it was very mundane in the sense that this was the life of ordinary people in this particular situation. Um, and, you know, the community shared that with me. Um, I went back and saw her about a year and a half later and did an interview with her and, and then told her story in a lot more detail in my book. Um, and she really taught me some things. She was very, very um, clear about how much she loved her children, about what family meant to her, about what gave her joy in ordinary life. She had an incredible resilience. She was living, of course, in a precarious way that was beyond anything I could really truly claim to understand. And then uh, there's a little twist to the tale, which, which is at, right at the end of my book. I won't share it in case anybody chooses mm. to read it, but, but it, it was an important piece, really, to the journey of, of my learning. And I feel deeply grateful to Shakila and her community for what I've learned from them. And what have you learned from people who live in great poverty? Well, you know that we're all the same. <laughs> uh, we're all the same. We care about the same things. Um, I think that the sort of crossing that line so that you can't pull the shutters down, um, looking people in the eye, um, is, is very, very important. And, and it's not only about poverty, it's about all kinds of difference. Um, uh, really recognizing the need to respect and identify with one another. I think when the gaps are big, and they might be big because of different economic circumstances or life chances, they might be big because of we, we differ with each other politically, whatever, whatever it might be that potentially holds people apart. 
the need to step across that line and to actually engage in a human way, you know, when you do that, everything changes. Everything changes. And you cannot then exclude people. Uh, you lose the sort of convenience, if you like, of being able to live in a, in a little box and, and not, not feel concerned about others. Um, so it, it's, it's this sense that we're all the same and we have similar dreams. And as, when you really get down to it, we may have different ways of expressing them. Um, and there's something about needing to do that um, in a way that's as empowering as possible. So, you know, people often ask me with a quest, well, if you're meeting, for example, you know, Shakila's community, a homeless community, there's this anxiety that creeps in that you're somehow wires, you know, you're looking in on people and that somehow there's an unequal balance. But in my experience, it's tremendously mutual, you know, we learn, I learn as a visitor, the person I'm visiting learns. There's often tremendous appreciation that we've traveled a very long way and that we're spending our time talking to this particular group of people, listening to them. The need to be listened to is, is fundamental to being human. Um, so it's very much about the intent with which you come into that kind of conversation or meeting. I think something else I, I, I picked up from your book as well and was really the you know, the enormous amount of, of courage from some of these invisible giants who may come from communities with, um, you know, that are in poverty, um, but some of the people that you've, you've helped through your foundation to, to lead and engage with their communities and, and really help them to, to help themselves. And, uh, you know, th th some of those people are at least as courageous, if not more courageous, than some of the CEOs leading some of the big companies. Absolutely. And, you know, there's an enormous amount of innovation that goes on in poor communities. Um, tremendous social innovation, tremendous enterprise, uh, lots and lots of people who are highly entrepreneurial because that's what they need, you know, in order to get by. And there's extraordinary things to learn and respect in, in those kinds of communities. So innovation, energy, courage, humor, uh, joy. Um, I think often those of us who, who perhaps have more by way of material goods, we, we somehow assume that people who've got less are in misery. And, and that's our projection, mm. usually. I mean, obviously, in certain circumstances, people may, may be really struggling, but it's a projection. Um, and there's a lot to be learned about the, the way in which communities support one another um, and collaborate, frankly, far more constructively and creatively than some of us um, do, you know, in, in, in the different cities and the communities that we come from. You, you moving to, moving to, um, you know, the, another sort of uh, end of the spectrum in terms of corporate leaders who may have uh, power and wealth, you describe a, a leader of one of your corporate quests as disconnected from the core of who he was despite his power and wealth. I wonder how do you influence leaders who fail to look beyond what can be quantified in terms of financial return? Um, you know, these people have maybe been recruited because uh, they're good at winning. Um, and how do you best deal with disappointment when such interactions don't go as you plan? Well, as you know from my book, I don't always dis deal with the disappointment as well as I should. Um, I, I think in the end, you, you need to, to sort of smile and, and recognize that we're all in my view, at least, kind of a reflection of one another. Um, I, I try very hard not to be judging of others, just as I don't want people to be judging of me. Um, I, I think 
people driving big companies, there's often a lot of misunderstanding about what that takes. It's a, it's a hard business to lead a company. Um, it's very demanding. There's many competing priorities. Um, and I have tremendous empathy for that and, and also great respect for people who are trying to do that very well. And there's very, very many people who are trying to do it very well. Mm. I think it's easy to become disconnected from the fundamentals of what life is all about you know what what constitutes happiness what constitutes a life well lived um and and the sort of pursuit of which is perhaps true for, for all or many of us the, the pursuit of you know money and how do you get on and how do you move up in life and taking care of your children and and this then growing and then getting beyond a point where you've evidently got all that you need um, but maybe still very, very driven by accumulating more power and wealth. Um, what I personally try to do is to just actually connect with people. Uh, it's the same, you know, again, we're all people. Um, and to, to, to give people the space to think about what's really important to them. And then to reflect on, you know, how do I make that real in my company? Or how do I make that real in the, my job with the government or my job with an NGO, how do I bring my own values to bear in whatever it is I do? And I think you can do that in, in pretty much any environment. So for me, it's about um, getting into meaningful conversations with people. It's, it's not about judging people or sort of painting them into a corner. Um, one of the reasons that I started to do the experiential work of quests is that it's not about telling anybody something. It's about going out and meeting and having experiences and letting people draw their own conclusions. And I found that doing that with corporate leaders as well as others is very, very powerful. And, and what happens is they make their own connections and they start to think about what this means for what it is that they do in their own day jobs. I think that's, uh, that's a, a wonderful and very appropriate thing to do because i people really they take things on board when it comes from their own experience don't they um more uh, and if it's their own idea as well but based upon what they've seen um that can be very powerful yeah i think also there's something about embracing the fact that on the one hand you know you can have an insight in a moment that is really life-changing and i i see that happen a lot and at the same time changing the world around us in the way that many, many people aspire to is a long journey. You know, you need to be patient. Uh, I don't mean you need to be complacent, but, but you need to be patient. And, and we need, I think, to be patient with one another. Um, my own experience is that sometimes if I feel something's not working or, you know, somebody's not moving, I, I usually recognize just a little while later that, that I was wrong and that, Many things might be going on inside that person's head or that person's heart that I can't see um, and, and that come out in different ways later on. So there's a sense of, of acceptance that we all learn in different ways and we all move in different ways and we're on this long life journey together. You, you must have uh, had, we've not going to go about three minutes to commercial brain now, but you must have had some incredible experiences in, in the Middle East when you were you know, dealing with Palestinians and Israelis and trying to, you know, sort of broker some harmony and a, and a route forward. Um, you describe it as, uh, you know, keeping going, keeping chipping away at a large stone when at first appearances there's no real chance of shaping it. Um, what, was, what has been your learnings from that experience? Well, 
you know, there's many people in, in, the, in that wider region who are doing all sorts of great work and extraordinary work uh, amongst their own communities and between communities. Um, and that doesn't usually get reported, unfortunately. You know, what we hear about is, uh, is all the things that don't work. Uh, so that would be my, my first observation. Um, I think it is, it's, you know, in particular, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is very long-running and, and it's easy to feel very bleak about it. Um, my own view is that there's very important work to be done within each of those communities about driving change. And, and actually, many people in the region would say that themselves. It's, it's in some ways less about what does the other side need to change, although there's plenty of that, that that's, that's required, and more about how do we, for example, as, as, as Israeli people, speak to one another and deal with our own problems and challenges and make sure that that we're heading in the right direction and the same question amongst the Palestinians. So uh, one of my lessons, I think, is about the work that we need all of us to do closer to home in our own societies and communities. It's easy to have opinions about what everybody else should do. Um, fixing ourselves, you know, me fixing mm. myself, me, me fixing the things that I have influence over. Um, in the end, the only person I can change is me. And, and you know, through that then have influence on others. And I've learned that from many good people in, in that part of the world. Thanks. Take a, yeah, keep taking a good, long, hard look at yourself in the mirror. <laughs> um, we're going to go to commercial break now. And after the break, we will uh, start to move into uh, looking at, um, you know, what, what leaders can do and politicians can do and people can influence can do to really understand the bigger perspective. Uh, and I'd like to find a little bit more out about Lindsay and how she, she manages this life um, working all over the world with the, the pressures of a family. So we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Lindsay Levin. We're talking about uh, Invisible Giants. And just in the break, actually, Lindsay and I were we're talking about a story in her book um, of uh, which has a real impact on the Indian sort of food supply chain. And, uh, you know, my question I was going to ask Lindsay, and I still will, is how do leaders, including politicians, best take a look at the true big picture? But I think there's maybe, you know, an example in there, Lindsay, which we could talk to, because there's a, there's a real big, big picture perspective opened up from that experience that you had. Yes, we were talking about a, a particular story in my book of going to a night shelter in Delhi um, that was home to about 500 men and boys um, who were homeless. It was in winter and these large tents get put up by the government for, for homeless people to go into in the winter. Uh, not everybody can fit. It's very, very, very crowded. There's four or five people sleeping on each um, sort of bed um, and really quite an over, overwhelming experience in many ways. But being in a conversation with a lot of these young young boys and men, um, with a little group of visitors that I brought with me, and we, t- we started to talk to the community in there about the work they did, because they were all in work of some sort, but they couldn't afford housing. And the majority of the people in the tent worked in the catering industry. They were cooks, they were dishwashers, And they themselves had no place to wash, no change of clothes, no toilets to use. Um, And it was a very powerful lesson because the people with me, you know, fearful about getting an upset stomach. They were some of them were from Europe and America. And here they were traveling in India, suddenly realizing how closely we are all connected. And, um, you know, the the real challenges of, of something as basic as sanitation for people who by day, are making meals for themselves and, and for their communities and, and for us as visitors. Um, so that was just a very a very powerful moment in, in that community. Uh, and that, uh, yeah, that, you know, for, for me, I had a job once where I looked after the logistics quality and forecasting for five and a half thousand pubs and restaurants. And, uh, you know, just thinking about that, you know, thinking about having... How important over here it is that people don't get ill uh, from what they eat, right? Uh, and you know that the impact there, right at the at the base of the supply chain, all those people who who just can't even, you know, wash and uh, can't uh, keep themselves clean and sanitized, and they are you know in that process making the food. And I kind of wonder why. Uh, there's a basics um, humanity that we ought to be caring for people on the planet but you know how it's not even picked up at the end of the supply chain with people getting ill yes yeah Uh, I mean it's these in a way what I I try to show people through our work is our complete interconnectedness and interdependence with one another with the planet you know with 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 all of life Um, and in that sense we're only as, as strong as our weakest link, um, I, I believe. Uh, and, and one of the things I, I think that many people are feeling quite challenged by right now in the world is this sense of, of because of fear and anxiety and a sense of, of scarcity rather than abundance, if anything, we're becoming more polarized rather than coming closer together. And, and, and yet I think deep down, most people realize that, that 
pulling apart and becoming polarized is not a solution and is not sustainable um, in any shape or form, including in terms of our own humanity and, and how we feel about ourselves as human beings. Now, with um, you know, with all the, this work that you do, and I know you've done, you know, many, many, many quests around the world, and you, you travel an enormous amount of time. You know, I know, you know, myself when I'm traveling quite a bit, and I'm away from the family, uh, I feel a real kind of sense of uh, uh, pressure if I'm busy, and uh, and I'm concerned at you know getting the right balance with my family. And I just wonder how you do that with uh, such international work with. Uh, with your husband, David, and your children? Well, I mean, I don't get it right all the time, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, and it's a question I've, I've asked myself, you know, repeatedly over the years. I, I'm very blessed to have a fantastic partner in David and three wonderful sons, Zach, Joe, and Louis. Um, and I, I think the, the upside of, of, in particular, the work I've done is that my kids have grown up to be very worldly and thoughtful you know we have a continual stream of visitors from around the world staying with us um, at home they've had exposure to a lot of these different um, issues and themes and they've met all sorts of interesting people so one of my thoughts is you know how do you bring the best of of your working life into your home life and and to think about things more in terms of integration rather than separation and and I know that may be easier to say about my job than it is about some people's jobs but but that's been part of my sort of guiding principles. Um, I, I think, you know, it, 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 if, if I think about um, men and women perhaps listening to the show and the balance between pursuing the things that you feel drawn to do, that your own sense of purpose and how you, how you add value in the world and contribute in whatever job it is that you do, um, and indeed how you earn a living. Um, there's a piece about not beating oneself up too much. You know, life is crowded and, it, it, you know, many of us lead busy, stretched lives and we want to get a lot done. Um, and, and, you know, perfection is, is perhaps not quite the right thing to be pursuing. So I feel fortunate I have fa fantastic times with, with my family and, and with close friends um, we're still very, very close. My, my two oldest children are now in university. My youngest son is still in high school. Um, and we've, you know, somehow it's, somehow it's worked. Um, mm. But there's something perhaps about not beating oneself up too much. I think, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and, and seek perfection. And, it, you know, in the end, um, there's 24 hours in the day and, and you actually need to, to be good for the long run in terms of your own well-being and health as well. You just mentioned you mentioned there the word integration, and, and I, you know, I've got an appreciation that your your family have been involved sometimes on on experiencing quests, and that must be a tremendous gift through your work that you've been able to share some of that with your family with their own growth and development. Yeah, I mean they they've been each of them in in their own ways incredibly supportive of of what what I do, and, and you know David himself is is a fantastic leader in his own sphere. Um, and of course, I meet a lot of young people in the work that I do. So quite often I might be connecting those young people and, and reflecting on my own family and sometimes introducing my own children. Um, so they, they've certainly grown up understanding the world is complicated. Mm. And, and perhaps one of the things that, that's useful, especially for young people, is, you know, we tend to want to categorize things as being either this or that. And I, I think we've shown 
our own kids that the world is actually much more ambiguous than that. It's not that there's good people and bad people. You know, we, we're all, um, we're all many shades and, um, categorizing things is, is often not helpful. And I, I hope that's one of the lessons that they've, they've taken away. Brilliant. What, what, um, would you like leaders of organizations and, and governments to consider and do next? Gosh, well, you know, leadership's very personal. Um, It's, you have to be fully immersed and involved. It's not something you do just with your head and your brain. Uh, It's also about heart. It's about spirit. Um, I I would like to encourage people in positions of of leadership to lead with real courage, um, to lead with their own vulnerability Uh, We all have fears. We all have anxieties. Stoking fear, which I think is going on at the moment in all sorts of ways, is incredibly unhelpful. So amplifying fear and amplifying the sense of the otherness of different people, um, I I, I think, is is really destructive um, and unnecessary. But so by the vulnerability piece, you know, what I mean is, you know, when we have doubts, when we make mistakes, the, the best leaders share the mistakes. Um, nobody's perfect. Um, the best leaders share their doubts and, and encourage a conversation around that in order to then be able to be truly courageous and work in partnership with others. So uh, f- for me, it's about showing our own humanity and bringing that into all sorts of environments. You know, even just looking at the language, some of the language that you hear in in, in big institutions or companies or corporate environments or governments, it's, it's can be a load of gobbledygook. You know, it's not down to earth. We're not talking about, um, the ordinary things in straightforward ways. And so it's, it's actually really being grounded, um, having one's feet on, on the ground and at the same time being able to lead with vision and a story and a sense of, um, painting a picture of the future that we're trying to create together. Great. And what's next for Leaders Quest? Uh, and how might people listen to the show be able to help you? Well, you know, t- take a look at our website, reach out to us. We are a community. We think of ourselves as being a global community. Um, people come with us. We meet them in different parts of the world as what we call hosts on Quest. We, we are very willing to invite and include. So, so please do get in touch if you're interested in what we do. Uh, one of the things I'm very personally thoughtful about right now is is compassion and and what compassion is really all about and what that requires of us as people and and what I'm calling the bridge between cleverness and wisdom. So how we take some of the brilliant things that human beings are capable of, um, you know, technology, this tremendous sense of the world changing very fast, and as well as being clever, um, bring real compassion. And by that I mean the willingness to reflect on ourselves, the willingness to truly meet and see other people, the willingness to bridge gaps um, with one another. If we take those sorts of qualities and combine them with our own cleverness and um, capabilities and new technologies and and ambition for the future, I think we we have wonderful, wonderful opportunities ahead. Uh, So, that's very much where Leaders Quest is focused right now, um, thinking about this message around compassion, the bridge between cleverness and wisdom, um, and also on working on systemic change. We're doing some work with different industries, the food industry, the banking industry, um, businesses' response to issues like climate change. So taking some of 
the skills that we've learned about convening people and creating learning through experiences and applying that to some of these big sector challenges that we have. Exciting times. <laughs> lots, to, <laughs> lots to do. <laughs> lots, lots to do. Lots for all of us to do. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think, I think, you know, what I really... I remember reading a, a, one definition of success, which uh, talked about, you know, success is about pursuing a worthy goal or ideal. Yes. Uh, it really, you know, it really seems that what you have done, you, you know, a shining example of that. And, uh, and there's a lot of people in the Invisible Giants a book and within your network who are, who are doing that. And, um, you know, what you're really talking about, I, I, I suspect, too, is kind of a shift in, you know, help, helping in the shift in consciousness. Yes, yes. Um, and there's... Yeah, it, it's some combination of the sort of work on the inside for each of us and the work on the outside in terms of, you know, how we connect with the world. Um, everyone's got a passion. Sometimes it gets deeply buried, but we've all got things that we're, that we're passionate about and that we care about. Well, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today, and I, and I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it very much, Chris, and I really appreciate the, the people who've tuned in to listen. Thank you very much to everybody for their time. It's been, uh, been lo lovely talking to you. I've really um, enjoyed it, and you know, I've said to you I've enjoyed your book, and I'm very supportive of what, uh, what you do. And if anybody wants to find out more about the work of Leaders Quest, you can go to leadersquest.org. Uh, and uh, lots of information there. And I would recommend as well that when you're there, you, you dig out the blog um, called Compassion X, the case for Compassion X, because uh, I think that uh, really uh, you know, summarizes um, some of what Lindsay was saying there, but also um, you know, gives you plenty of food for thought. So check out that blog post. And uh, on next week's show, we have Niels Brabant. And uh, Niels is um, an individual who's developed a, a large international um, organization uh, around training and development and and leadership uh he's uh, he's, he's based um he lives he's german but he lives uh, in london uh, and i've certainly found that i've picked up some real wisdom and insight when i've spoken to neil so i'm very excited to uh, introduce him uh, to you uh, so once again a huge thank you to uh, lindsay levin over there in new york a big thank you to everybody um, around the world who's listening to this and i know it shows access in over 50 countries now so i um, wish you all well and i do hope that you've gained some value from today so thank you very much We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.